I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today for the second week in a row is my co-host, Charlie. Charlie, at any point in the summer, were you on the show in two consecutive weeks? I don't know. When you don't was, know? When was the summer? Uh, I, that thing that happened and the period that we all just hated our lives? The last six months are just, they've merged. It's a blur. It's has it, has it been six months at this point? I guess it has been, yeah. Six months, wow. All right, well, let me ask you a more fun question. How was your first Power 5 college football weekend last weekend? It was okay. Some good games. That FSU game was. Uh, oh my god! Oh my god! Florida State. I don't know. Yeah, that was interesting. I gotta lie. I well, all right. I'm not gonna lie. I I was torn that game. Obviously, I hate Georgia Tech. I want them to lose every single game they play. But it's also kind of fun to laugh at Florida State right now because their fans, their fan base is. Eh, it is what it is. I was still rooting for Florida State. Yeah, that game was interesting. Catching the the upsets, the Sun Belt upsets. That was fun. Arkansas okay, State. Yeah, I watched a little bit of them. Yeah, fun stuff. But all right, as far as today's episode, we have come to the end of the road for our 2020 Scout and the Enemy series. And we've done this every year for the past five seasons now. It's hard to believe it's been five years, but it's been five years. And we had some bumps in the road this time around, had to make some adjustments on the fly. You know, since, oh, I don't know, the entire schedule changed on us in August and Unfortunately, with the start of the SEC season staring us in the face at this point, which is great. It's not really unfortunate. That's awesome. But in terms of like doing this guy in the Enemy Series, we're just going to run out of time. We aren't going to be able to cover every team on the schedule this year. So I, I hate that, but it's kind of just another casualty of, of the year of Corona, right? We've got most of them in, though. Like we, we, we aren't going to be able to get to South Carolina or Mississippi State. We had plans to. I was actually actively preparing, watching the tape on those two teams. But different things kept popping up at different times, whether it was Jamie Newman randomly announcing his decision to opt out. Obviously, we had to cover that. The Big Ten, the Pac-12 going rogue. Seth Emerson agreed to do an interview with us, which was, which was a, something that we absolutely were going to jump on. So these are things that we just couldn't really ignore. And so we kind of run out of time here as we come very close to the start of the SEC season. But we aren't done quite yet because today on the show we have one final edition of the 2020 Sky and the Enemy series, and that is the Florida Gators. Probably the one you've been waiting for the most, maybe outside of Alabama. We couldn't end the offseason, guys. We really could not end the offseason without breaking down the hype machine that is Dan Mullen's Florida football program. And I know, like I know, we've discussed them quite a bit throughout the offseason. This is not the first time that we're going to touch on the Florida Gators. But we also have gotten a lot of new listeners over the past couple months. And some of you that have come back now that the season is about to kick off. So we want to put it all together for everyone out there. And we're going to do this one a little bit differently. Each of the previous Sky the Enemy episodes 
has basically just been me this season, breaking down each team solo without a co-host, which is cool. It's no problem. It's fine. Was able to do that throughout the offseason. But today, Charlie is here to take over the host duties and kind of guide our discussion today. She's got the questions, and I've hopefully got the answers, and we'll have a little fun with it in between. So, Charlie, I'm handing you the reins. What do you got for me today? All right. So, as much as I hate to admit it, you're right. What? Well, can I hear that again? I'm what? You are totally right. Oh, wow. Thank you. About, Thank you. About the Florida Heisman. Doesn't happen often, but we, yeah. We've talked about it a little bit. So, they are everyone's preseason darling again. Again. As, as most in the media have tapped them as their preseason pick to win the SEC East. Bomb it. There are a few brave souls out there who see through the fog and are sticking with the dogs this year. But they have been few and far between this offseason. And I know you've talked about this some throughout the offseason, but from what I can gather, there are three main reasons why so many experts out there are picking Florida over Georgia in the East. And I want you to take these one by one today. One by one. One okay. by one. All right. Thank you for chunking this for me. You're welcome. I know you need like <laughs> compartmentalization I need help. I need help. and maybe a graphic organizer with a chart. Wouldn't hurt. Some arrows. So the first thing they point to support that supports their pick of Florida over Georgia is the fact that Florida has offensive continuity with returning quarterback Kyle Trask and the Florida version of Jake well, Fromm. yeah. Don't steal my thunder oh, here. I, ha- I have said it before. It's not like it's a new thing, but yes. Yeah, you're right. So they have Kyle Trask coming back and a returning play caller in Dan Mullen. Ugh. Dopey Dan. Yeah. I, I, I hate name calling, but it's just too easy with him. Well, I mean, I'm not name calling. You did it, not me. I mean, so, but know. And Georgia doesn't have a returning quarterback or a returning play caller. We, we do not. We do not. And we have, we don't know. I who think I've heard that somewhere this yeah. offseason that we don't have the quarterback coming back, new play yeah. caller, new system. I think I've heard and that And we don't somewhere. know who our quarterback might be, so who knows? Yeah. We probably won't know until right before the first game. Mm-hmm. So, Tyler, how much stock do you put in this claim? About the offensive continuity? Um, all right. So, yeah, since you kind of stole my thunder there, but again, I, I, I've said this a couple times throughout the offseason. I actually got into a little, I don't want to say spat, I really hate engaging on Twitter with like rival fan bases because. What is the point? You can't win those conversations. It's just there's no there's no end to it. So I, I I don't really do that kind of thing. That's why I guess we don't have as many followers on Twitter because we just don't do that kind of thing. But that's fine. It's just not for me. But I, I kind of I just I had to I had to I had to a little bit when it came to Kyle Trask because yes I have said this before and I mean this I truly mean this guys. This is not me trying to be some shock jock or just going for sensationalism. I I truly mean it that I think Kyle Trask is Florida's version of Jake Fromm. I really believe that. Let me kind of explain that. I know some of you have heard me say this before, but for those of you who have not, and even for those of you that have heard me say it, let me kind of just maybe add to it a little bit. Look, what I'm saying here is I think that Kyle Trask and Jake Fromm have a lot of similar qualities. I think they're both smart, heady players. They make really good decisions for the most part with the football, but they lack the physical tools to to really be a truly dynamic option at that position. doesn't mean they're not good, but they can't be dynamic because they just don't have the physical tools that will allow them to be dynamic. They don't have the physical mobility. They don't have the elite arm strength. They just don't have those things. 
So I, I think both guys, you could Trask and Fromm, I don't think either one of them are dynamic enough to actually go out and win you a football game on his own. There have been quarterbacks that can do that. Can do that. Trevor Lawrence doesn't have to. He's a guy that can do that. Justin Fields, I think, is, is a potentially a guy that can do that. I haven't seen him do it yet, but I think he has the, the potential to do that. I think Baker Mayfield, when he was at Oklahoma, was a guy that could put a team on his back and go win you a football game. We've seen guys like that at the college level. I just don't think Jake Fromm was that. I thought he was really good for us. I don't think he was that. I don't think Kyle Trask is that. I think both are guys that need to have really talented skill players around them to win big at the college level. I think there are two guys that you can win big with at the college level. I just think they have to have the right kind of talent and, and skill players around them to make that happen. And I really don't mean this as an insult. Like when I, when I mentioned this on Twitter, I guess a couple months ago now, and it was in reference to some site, I can't remember what site it was, but some publication, some site out there, what they had done is they had taken... Trevor Lawrence's numbers as a first-year starter, as a true freshman at Clemson, and then they took Kyle Trask's first-year starter numbers as, oh, by the way, a redshirt junior, and they kind of just posed the question, oh, is Kyle Trask the next Trevor Lawrence? And they were saying that based off of their stats from their first full year as a starter, ignoring the context that Trevor Lawrence did that as a true freshman straight out of high school, whereas Kyle Trask did that as a redshirt junior. And all I did was point out that, no, Kyle Trask is much closer to being Jake Fromm than he is to being Trevor Lawrence, which I think is eminently reasonable. I think that's a very reasonable thing to say, much more reasonable than it is to insinuate that Kyle Trask is on the same level as Trevor Lawrence. But of course, the Florida fans instantly jumped on me because of their view of Jake Fromm. They, they convinced themselves that Jake Fromm was a trash quarterback. So they saw me saying that Kyle Trask was Jake Fromm. They saw that as me taking a shot at Trask, that that was an insult. That's not my intention. I'm not trying to take a shot at Kyle Trask with that. Because I think, you guys know, I mean, I was the, the former president of the Jake Fromm fan club. I had to hang that up since he's gone now. So, uh, But Jake was a really, really good quarterback for us his first two seasons. His numbers would spell that out too. And last year, yeah, his numbers took a big hit. But I think a big part of that was he was the victim of an offensive coordinator change that really minimized what he did well. I don't want to go too far down the Jake Fromm rabbit hole. But I think Dobbins last year, that new system, it minimized what he did well. And then when the wide receiver talent took a hit, especially with Lawrence Cager going down, to me, there, like I said last year, it's no coincidence that his numbers took a, I mean, they plummeted when Lawrence Cager was essentially out for the year between the first half of the year and the second half of the year. I mean, just go look at the, go look at the splits, guys. It's insane, the differential there. And so I think his, his deficiencies when those things happened got exposed. And like from, I think Trask is a pretty good player. I don't think Trask is a terrible quarterback. I mean, they won a lot of games with him last year, just like we won a lot of games with Jake Fromm the past three years. And Trask, you know, he had solid numbers last year, and that's what a lot of the Florida fans are doing right now, and a lot of the people out in the college football media, they've kind of taken the easy way out. And yeah, I'll say it, the lazy way out. And they're pointing at, you know, solid numbers based on like the traditional basic ways that we measure quarterbacks. But if you look at the more advanced stats that kind of peel back the layers they tell a different story on Kyle Trask. He had, for instance, the lowest pro football focus grade among returning SEC quarterbacks this season at 66.4. Guys, that's 15 points behind Mac Jones. Mac Jones, who's a good quarterback. That's why I said earlier in the offseason, I think I would say Mac Jones over Kyle Trask. I think Jones has more physical tools to work with than Kyle Trask does. I, I believe that. And then and pro football focus, their their ratings there bear that out. And it's not it doesn't just stop there. Kyle Trask also had the fourth worst big time throws 
to turnover-worthy plays in all of America last year, according to Pro Football Focus. He had nine big-time throws compared to 22 turnover-worthy plays as a minus 13 differential in that ratio. That was fourth worst in all of America last year. And that didn't surprise me when I found those numbers. So that kind of matches what you see on tape. I always say, guys, go to the tape. Don't just rely on the numbers. Don't rely on what somebody's told you. Go to the tape. Go watch the tape. If you watch the tape, Kyle Trask flat out got bailed out a lot last year. And he just doesn't make a ton of elite throws because he does not have elite arm talent. In fact, I would say Jake Fromm's arm was solidly better than what Kyle Trask's arm was last year. And that's not typically something that improves all that much from year to year. I mean, Kyle Trask, I mean, yeah, I'm going to say it, has kind of a noodle arm. It doesn't mean he can't make some throws, but he kind of has a noodle arm. He'll leave the ball hanging up there. And, and look, yeah, it was his first year as a starter last year. It first year as a starter in a long time. So he'll likely experience some growth this season. I mean, that, that makes sense. It's some natural growth as, as a second-year starter. But I, I do wonder how much of that potential growth will be stunted due to COVID and not having spring practice and not being on campus for a couple of months. I do wonder that. But again, their offense, just like our offense was productive with Jake Fromm, except for the, the last half of last season, their offense can be productive with him. It was last year. But it's all about does he have the right talent around him? Just like our offense was productive with Jake when he had the right talent around him, when that, when that talent disappeared outside of George Pickens, all of a sudden he wasn't as productive. I think it's the same thing with Kyle Trask this year. So the question becomes, does Kyle Trask have that kind of talent around him this year? And I know we're going to get into that in a few minutes, but just to kind of bear this out with the numbers, guys, and this, to give you the comparison of why I say Again, I, I've kind of laid it out from a description standpoint. I want to lay it out from a numerical standpoint, from a stat-based standpoint here. So as a true freshman in 2017, Jake Fromm's numbers, 62.2% completion, 19.4 yard, 19.4 attempts per game, 174 passing yards a game, 9.6 yards per attempt, 24 touchdowns to 7 interceptions. Okay, Look at Jake Fromm 2018 as a sophomore, 67.3% completion percentage, up to 28, 21.8 attempts per game. 196 yards a game, nine nine yards in attempt flat, 30 touchdowns to six interceptions. What was Kyle Trask last year in 2019? Huh, 66.9% completion, threw the ball about eight times, eight more times per game than Jake Fromm did in 2018, 29 and a half attempts per a game, almost three attempts a game, 245 yards a game. So yes, he threw for more yards, but he threw for fewer yards per attempt. He only had, only had 8.3 yards per attempt last year compared to nine yards per attempt for Fromm in 2018, 25 touchdowns to seven picks last year. I mean, that's eerily similar to Fromm's numbers as a true freshman, 24 touchdowns to seven picks as a true freshman. So when you look at them from a physical standpoint and a makeup standpoint, a lot of similarities. When you look at them from a statistical standpoint, a lot of similarities. So that's why I think that they're they're very similar. And I would say Trask is kind of like Florida's version of Jake Fromm. So yeah, they have some continuity coming back. But how, like, I guess you could say that with a starting quarterback and with Dan Mullen coming back. So that's not, that's not untrue that they are coming back. But I question how good is that starting quarterback coming back? How good is he really? A lot of people are looking at him and saying he's going to be the difference in the SEC East. The fact that, that Florida has him and we don't, I don't know if he's that kind of difference maker. I just don't know. I don't know. At least I'll say this. He was no, he's no more of a difference maker than Jay Fromm was. I'll put it at that. All right. And the second thing all the experts out there point to as justification for their Florida SEC East pick, I'm so sick of this, is <laughs> Dan Mullen. 
The rank-and-file college football media is convinced he is a better coach than Kirby Smart. Boo. And I know that is something that fires you up and makes you very angry. So, I'm going to shut up now and let you take this one. But, uh, wait, I okay. will say, you should read Seth, Seth Emerson's book if you haven't read it yet. Why? Not you. Me? I've read it. I know. So, you're just... You're like, just randomly... I'm plugging his book for him. Oh, you just want to throw that in there randomly? Yeah. It has nothing to do with this question? I started reading it this weekend... And I found it fascinating. Yeah, I told you to read. Was it, isn't it great? Kirby Smart. Yeah. So it's and it's not just me, guys. It wasn't just that we were having Seth Emerson on the show. Charlie, you, so you started reading this weekend. How far did you get? Uh, not very far. I fell asleep. A couple of chapters. Not because the book is not good, but I was just tired and. Yeah, but it's great, isn't it? Like it, it like captivates you, it pulls you in. So yeah, if you haven't gotten Seth Emerson's book yet, uh, I'll plug that again. Absolutely, go get that. I, I thought you were kind of connecting that to the question, but you just you want to throw that in there. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Fair enough. Fair enough. Let's throw it in there. Anytime. No worries. All right, so yeah, so Dan Mullen, you're right. This does fire me up, and I have talked about this before, I know, but God, you, you know, it's tempting. Anytime I get a chance to, I just like to go off on this because it drives me insane. This drives me more insane than Kyle Trask. Thing. Like, Trask, God bless him, solid quarterback, Jake Fromm-esque, but Dan Mullen versus Kirby Smart, come on, come on, come on. What, what are we talking about here? What are we talking about here? And let me back this up, okay? Dan Mullen. All these college football writers who prop this guy up as the difference, him and Kyle Trask as the two difference makers for Florida. What are we talking about? I already went over Kyle Trask. Dan Mullen, Dan Mullen's a good coach, right? Like he, he's not a bad coach. I'm not sitting here saying he's the worst coach ever. No, he's a good coach and he's better than what they had before at Florida and he's won 10 games two years in a row. He is a good football coach. But when you compare the guy to Kirby Smart, and this is what drives me crazy. Like if somebody just said, hey, Dan Mullen's a good coach, I wouldn't have an issue with that. Yeah, Dan Mullen's a good coach. But where I have an issue is when people constantly, of course, it's Florida and Georgia arrivals, and he has to get over the Georgia hump to get to the, to get to the uh, SEC title game. I get that. And so they compare him and Kirby Smart all the time. And in this comparison, the general thought is that Dan Mullen is the superior coach while Kirby Smart is the superior recruiter. And that Kirby Smart's just some goofy idiot that has no idea how to coach. He was just riding Nick Saban's coattails. And Nick Saban is really coaching all those defenses. Kirby Smart doesn't know what he's doing. While Dan Mullen, he's the superstar. He's the true offensive genius. Okay. Um, okay. All right. Well, let, let's start with this. In 10 meetings... Between the two coaches, Kirby Smart and Dan Mullen, where Dan Mullen was the head coach and play caller, and Kirby Smart was either the defensive coordinator or the head coach. So kind of they're going head to head here, right? Offensive guy versus defensive guy. In ten meetings between these two guys, Mullen's offenses against Kirby Smart's defenses have averaged only four point two points through three quarters. And I use that stat because a lot of times, you know, some of those points that he did score were trash points in the fourth quarter, the garbage points when the game was already, it was over. It was, it was a, there was, it was no longer in doubt, right? Only 4.2 points through three quarters, guys, and only 9.7 points total in his 10 matchups with Kirby Smart. But Dan Mullen's a better coach? What? I, if you do the math, that means over the course of 10 different seasons, Dan Mullen's offenses have still yet to score 100 points total on Kirby Smart defenses over the last 10 matchups between them. That's insane. How can you possibly argue, just with that stat alone, that Dan Mullen is the superior X and O coach? How can you argue that? Now, to take it a step further, Mullen's offenses have averaged only 275 yards a game against Kirby Smart coach defenses, while they've averaged 
432 yards a game against everyone else that they played. Guys, that's a 157 yard per game differential. Another insane stat. He's also only gone over 300 yards. His offense has only gone over 300 yards against a Kirby-led defense twice. And both of those games were with Dak Prescott at, at quarterback. And you guys know Dak Prescott. He, he's about to get paid big time in the NFL. He's an elite, well, I guess you can call him an elite quarterback in the NFL. But even with Dak Prescott, yeah, he went over 300 yards in those games. He still only managed 13 points a game in those two games with Dak Prescott against Kirby Smart defenses. But the argument is, oh, well, yeah, you can throw all those stats out all you want. But, you know, Dan Mullen, he was at Mississippi State. He just didn't have the kind of talent that Kirby did, right? Like, that's the argument. Well, you know what he's also done? He's also spent the past two seasons coaching at Florida, right? Hasn't he also done that? Where his overall talent is significantly better than what he was working with at Mississippi State. I mean, it's so much better than what he was working with at Mississippi State. It, it has to be. That's, you know, the, the, the idea when he when he got the job was, oh my God, let's look at what Dan Mullen can do with Florida with all this kind of talent they have at Florida. I mean, it's the sky's the limit for Dan Mullen at Florida with all that talent. Well, you know what the results are, guys? Huh, well... Now at Florida, with all that extra talent he's had that he has to work with against Kirby Smart, well, he's still only averaging eight and a half points a game through three quarters and 17 points a game overall, and only averaging 276 yards a game with his two offenses at Florida against Kirby Smart while Kirby Smart's been here at Georgia. Yeah, that's a smaller sample size, admittedly, but the dude, guys, he's absolutely only averaging one more yard a game versus Kirby Smart defenses while he's been at Florida than he did while at Mississippi State. So get the heck out of here with this. Well, the only reason Kirby's had more success straight up between him and Mullen is because he's just had this crazy talent differential. Get out of here with that. The talent gap has been closed when he, when he goes from Mississippi State to Florida, and he's only averaging one more yard a game. It's not about the talent differential. It's about the coaching differential. Kirby Smart's just a better coach than Dan Mullen. Get over it, Florida fans. Get over it, Cultural Media. Those are just the facts. It, if you look at the numbers, it's clear, guys. It, you really can't even argue it. All right. Thank you for that. Sorry. Had to. I know. I know. The final thing that the talking heads like to point to when they are trying to defend their Florida pick is their belief that Florida's path to the SEC East title is easier than Georgia's. How much credibility do you give to that argument? Okay, this one I actually give it more credibility. This is this is the only reason that I could think that I look at this as, oh, you know what, you, you have a point there, college football media members, Florida fans, and you point that, well, Florida's path to the SEC title game is easier than Georgia's. Yeah, I agree. I think it was certainly the case before we had the readjusted schedule, the 10-game conference schedule. They certainly had a much easier path. I mean, I, I don't know if I saw another loss in that schedule other than than uh, our game in Jacksonville because LSU, yeah, that could have been potentially difficult, but they have had, had they have had so many opt-outs and, and so many guys that are not coming back this year that I, I think Florida's probably going to win that game, to be honest with you, right now. But look, our schedule this year, it's still more difficult than what Florida has, even with the adjusted schedule. Uh, it's, it's Our schedule is just so much it's so front-loaded this year. And when you have a new quarterback and an entirely new offense, like I think we'll be better offensively than we were last year. And you can disagree with me on that. I'm not saying we're going to be tremendously better. I'm not saying, again, we're going to have some LSU-type offense this year. But I think we'll be better. It might just be marginally better, but I do think we'll be better on offense. But I'm still concerned because when we're when our, our schedule is so front-loaded like it is right now, with outside of the Arkansas game, you got Auburn, Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky as a trap game, and then the game of Florida all in your first six games. That's difficult. That's difficult with even with a returning quarterback and a returning play caller. But when, it, when all those guys are new, it's a new system. 
that does give me some pause. That's something you have to think about. You'd be naive to not at least consider that. Uh, you absolutely have to think about that and, and how the schedule sets up. And, and you look at Florida's schedule, yeah, they have to play us in Jacksonville, but it's not on the road. And the only other tough stretch that Florida has, they don't have like a five or six game stretch like we do to open the season. The only other tough stretch they have is a two game stretch from weeks two and weeks three where they got at A&M in week two and they come back home to play LSU in week three. Like I said, I don't think LSU is going to be anything near what they were last year. I think Florida's probably the better team this year. I think A&M's a, a tough game. For them. I think a, I, right now, I'd probably pick A&M to win that game. But there's no Bama. There's no four or five game stretch without let up like, like we have. I do think their schedule still it's, it's tougher than what it was before they adjusted the schedule and had to redo things and, and go to the 10-game conference schedule. But it's still a lighter schedule than what we're going to have to go through. So I do think there's some credibility to that argument. I, w- I would certainly say they have a point there. But everything else... I just don't buy it. I don't buy it. All right. But, and I'll say this too also. Sorry, let me cut you off. Even though our schedule is more difficult, as long as we end up beating Florida and Jacksonville, even if we lose to Alabama, if we beat Florida and Jacksonville, I still think we're going to be okay, even with a tougher schedule. So it comes down to that game. Can we beat Florida and Jacksonville? And I think we're better. I've said this all, all offseason. Yeah, I think we're better. And Charlie, before we move on, before you give me your next question, I just want to pause real quick and remind all of our listeners about our friends at my bookie. Guys, it's football season. There's no doubt about it. You can't get around it now. It is college football season. And as great as that is on its own, it's made even better by the fact that you can go to my bookie right now, use your knowledge of college football. You guys know college football. Come on, you're the diehard. You know how this stuff works. Use that knowledge to your benefit and go make some money betting on these games at my bookie. Yep, college football is back, but so is winning season. Winning season has returned at my bookie, which means doubling your first deposit. I mean, winning season also means you, you get to watch live sports and also bet on live sports at the same time. We know college football is back, NFL is back, NBA is kind of getting their stretch run, Major League Baseball is about to start their playoffs. The PGA is already teed off with the U.S. Open. we got the Masters coming up here in a couple of months. There are sports everywhere, guys. Any kind of sports you want, there are options to go put some bets down and win some money. So get in on the action. Use promo code OVERTIME and double your first deposit. And if you're a new player, you get up to $1,000 in free play, which is just designed to give you a little more incentive to come on board and add to your excitement of this college football season. So bet with the best this season for your chance to win big. Again, use promo code OVERTIME and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at MyBookie. And I've I've been talking about this all week, guys. It doesn't just stop there. Overtime, the company that we're partnered with, they're going all in for all you guys, all of our listeners. They're giving away $500 in cash to one lucky winner who takes advantage of this MyBookie offer. It's real simple, guys. Just go to MyBookie, sign up, make your deposit, then take a screenshot of your MyBookie account and just simply email that to overtime at advertisecast.com. That's Overtime at advertisecast.com. 500 big ones given away at the end of September to one lucky winner. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, price line. Okay. So you started breaking down the offensive personnel a little bit. Mm-hmm. If Florida is going to beat Georgia this year and fulfill all those predictions from the college football media, they're going to have to find a way to put up some serious points on what I think is going to be another elite Georgia defense. But to do that, you're going to have to have some serious playmakers. So, Tyler, who are the major playmakers on this Florida offense? Who do we need to watch out for? Well, Charlie, that's a great question because I don't know if we really know. Like, Florida fans are convinced they have them all over the roster, but I'm not necessarily convinced yet because we haven't seen it from all these guys with the exception of Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is great, guys. Yes, he is a truly elite, new-age type tight end. They can go out there and be a major threat in the passing game and at least competent enough in the run game. He is not great as a blocker, but they don't ask him to do it a ton, and he's fine. He's good enough, but he's elite as a pass catcher. Got great athleticism, good hands, really smooth athlete. Kind of light in the britches, but still a good player. He had 54 catches for just under 650 yards last year. I think he's going to be their primary target this year. I'm sure Dan Mullen spent the offseason trying to figure out how to feature him. I would if I was Dan Mullen. If he's this great offensive mind like everyone thinks he is, then that absolutely is what he should have been doing. And then the other options are some guys at receiver that have never been the guy. All of their, their top receivers are gone from last year. Really, their top three receivers. If you look at, you've got Van Jefferson, who was their best receiver last year. Freddie Swain was really, really good for them last year. Tyree Cleveland at one point was the number one receiver when he first got to Gainesville. And then some of these transfers came in and he kind of become the number, became the number three option. But all three of those guys are gone. So the guy they're looking to to be the number one option for them at receiver is, is another one of those transfers. This guy from Ohio State, Trevon Grimes who was good last year, but he was in a complimentary role. 33 catches for 491 yards. Now, I think he could make a jump this year. I think it's certainly possible because he was a big-time five-star recruit coming out of high school, went to Ohio State, didn't work out for him there. I really, I guess he says he moved for family issues, but he looks the part. He's got the physical tools, 6'5", 210 pounds. He has the ability to be a good receiver, and I think he probably will have a good year. I think he's going to be that option for them at wide receiver, but again, he's never been more than a complimentary piece. Doesn't mean he can't make a big jump this year, but do we know that? I can't say that we know that for sure right now. Another guy that they're really big on, you hear a lot of people talk about him when they're trying to justify Florida over Georgia, is Kadarius Tony. He's kind of like their little do-everything slot guy, junior bug type wide receiver. And it, but he is talented when you watch him play. He's, he's got some explosives to his game. He's got really elite short area quickness. He is dangerous with the ball in his hands. I'll give him that. But in three years at Florida, he's entering his senior year, in three years, he only has a total of 50 catches for 606 yards in his career. And this is a guy they're counting on to be one of their top options this year? Maybe, maybe. But he's never been anything more than like just a change of pace guy here and there. I mean, yeah, 50 catches, 606 yards in his career through three years. Guys, George Pickens, he did. He had more yards receiving last year. In one year, he had 727 yards. In one year as a true freshman last year, and had one fewer catches in one true freshman year. He had 49 last year than Kadarius Tony has had in his entire three-year career to this point at Florida. So the idea that he's just going to like be this elite, big-time, go-to kind of guy, we haven't seen it yet. Again, not saying he can't be, but haven't seen that yet from him. And Jacob Copen, now he's a guy to watch out for. He wasn't a big-time option for them last year. He was behind all these other guys. But I think Copa might be the most physically gifted of the wide receivers. Got a big physical body, really good athleticism as well. He's a guy to watch out for. I think he can be that guy, but he hasn't done it yet. Again, here's the thing, hasn't done it yet. And then 
Recently, we just found out that a transfer, here's another grad transfer, not grad transfer, another transfer from Penn State. He was just declared eligible. The NCAA granted his eligibility. Justin Shorter, former five-star recruit, actually a former top 10 overall recruit, but he was a bust at Penn State. He's one of those guys that's transferring for a reason. He just couldn't really see the field at Penn State. Only had 15 catches for 157 yards at Penn State. Yeah, I guess he was regarded as a talented guy coming out of high school, but hasn't translated yet to the college level. Doesn't mean it can't, but again, they're counting on that guy. We don't know yet. We just So there's just a lot of uncertainty at the skill positions. I think there's some talent there to work with, especially with Kyle Pitts. Trevon Grimes is a talented guy, but if you haven't ever been more than a complimentary piece in your career, I, I always hesitate to say, oh yeah, I'm just going to assume he's going to be that guy this year. It happens sometimes, but a lot of times those guys, they've been complimentary pieces for a reason because that's kind of who they are. So we'll see. We'll see if that ends up happening with any of these players. Okay. Florida actually threw the ball well last year with the wide receiver group they have. They're talented and a veteran group too, but they had major issues trying to run the football. In fact, listen to this. Of all the FBS teams that call the state of Florida home, the only team they finished ahead of was Miami. Ooh, that's a good stat, Charlie. Thank you. Look at you. I got I got stats. I got she skills. got them skills. Florida was 107th in the nation in rushing last year. Wow. Last season, yeah. Yeah. So they finished behind South Florida, Florida International, FAU, and FSU. Oh, FSU. That's bad. FSU. <laughs> oh God, FSU. There they are again. Yeah. Is that going to change for the Gators in 2020? I think this is a really good question. I like it, Charlie. Well done. Um, I really don't see it. I, I know they think it is. Again, the Florida fans, I guess they're like all fan bases. You know, we all see it through our whatever team color glasses you got. But I, I, I'm, I'm trying to look at this objectively. I really am. And I just don't see how Florida's rushing attack is all of a sudden just going to make this massive jump this year. Yes, I know what Florida fans point to. Well, we've got four stars returning on the offensive line. Um, yeah, you do, but... What reason do we have to believe that it's going to be anything other than, a, than a, another disaster for them? Guys, that offensive line was a disaster last year. Sure, all four guys come back, but is that a good thing? Like, they're just all going to magically get better this year without a spring practice, without being on campus for a couple months. They're just going to get that much better? Like, why do we think that? Like, what evidence is there to suggest it's going to be the case other than the fact that whether you're a year older? Well, just because you get a year older doesn't mean you necessarily get a year better, okay? Stone Forsyth that left tackle, go watch the tape, guys. That dude's a joke. That guy is a liability at left tackle. We're going to eat him alive. We ate him alive last year. We're going to eat him alive again, right? That guy gets beat routinely. Uh, Brett Hagee moves, or, he moves around the offensive line in different positions, but he really isn't any good. So, and on top of the offensive line issues, you lose your top running back in, in P. Ryan. Damian Pierce is a guy that, that they're kind of looking at as, that might be the guy for them this year. And he's a guy out of the state of Georgia, not only out of the state of Georgia, out of Kirby's hometown of Bainbridge that Kirby Smart passed on. Like, you, you, gotta, you gotta be pretty down the board if you're from Kirby Smart's hometown and he passes on you, right? So he goes to Florida and he's been okay. He, he, he lacks top-end speed. He's not really great with his lateral agility. He's fine. He's a decent piece, but it's a body, but he's not an elite guy. And then you have Lorenzo Lingard. Here's another transfer. I like what uh, one of our listeners, Trey, in the, in the listener mailbag this week, he called Dan Mullen the portal master. I love that. I might, I might have to steal that from you, Trey, if that's cool, man. So that's another transfer for the portal master. Lorenzo Lingard, another, a former five-star recruit, it started his career at Miami, had some injuries. 
Only had 136 rushing yards total in his career at Miami. Here he comes to Florida. Yeah, you can look back and say he's a former five-star guy. That means he's super talented. But you know what happens sometimes, guys? The recruiting services, they get it wrong. Sometimes they do. Most of the time they get it right, but there's times, there's plenty of times where they get it wrong. And we've seen that. I mean, just look at ourselves here for a reason. Go back and look at Trenton Thompson. That guy's a former number one overall prospect coming out of high school. And yeah, he was fine. He was a good player for us, but he was never anywhere close to being the number one player. He never performed close to that level. And I, and I hate, to, I'm not trying to dog him, just saying, using him as an example, sometimes recruiting services just get it wrong. Just because you were a five for coming out of high school doesn't mean you're actually going to end up being an elite impact player at the college level. And so far through his career, I know some injuries have been, have been problematic for him, but Lorenzo Lingard, just, he hasn't been elite. And why are we going to expect him to be elite this year? That's kind of the theme for this Florida team this year. All these guys people are looking at, they haven't really done it. They've never been elite, but except for Kyle Pitts. But now everyone's just expecting all these guys to make this huge jump and be elite in one year. Maybe a one or two of them do, but this idea that all of them are like they're, they're all gonna they're gonna be so much better, they're all gonna be elite this year. What? No, why why are we thinking that? And then when you have Kyle Trask as your primary quarterback, it makes it even more difficult on this offensive line that already struggles as it is, because you guys know how it is. With a mobile quarterback, that takes the pressure off of off of the quarterback because you can scheme some things differently up front. Like when you have a mobile quarterback, well, if your offensive line struggles, well, you know what? You can option off of unblocked defenders. You can leave guys unblocked and option off of them. And that allows you to take back the numbers advantage up front and gives that, that offensive line that's struggling, gives them a fighting chance, right? So I wonder if at some point Emory Jones might start taking a lot more snaps this season. He got some time last year because, you know, Dan Mullen's offenses, they've always operated best when he has that mobile quarterback, whether it's Tim Tebow, Dak Prescott, those kind of guys. And Kyle Trask is clearly not that. Emory Jones is the guy that fits Dan Mullen's system a lot better than Kyle Trask, but he's just, I guess, so far behind as a passer that they can't trust him back there to really fully run the offense. But they did bring him in quite a bit last year when they needed to kind of move the ball on the ground because they had to generate a run game somehow because they couldn't do it traditionally. So if they're struggling to run the ball again this year, has Emory Jones improved enough as a passer to start eating into the snaps that Kyle Trask has? I know Florida fans don't want to hear that because they're convinced Kyle Trask is Superman. But I'm telling you, Kyle Trask is fine. They can win games with him. They won games with him last year. They won 10 games with him last year. But man, there's some limitation to his game. So if Emory Jones can can gain the trust of the coaches as a passer a little bit more, I think he fits that system more. And, and their offense, certainly with Emory Jones, I think could take a step forward. But right now, like we don't know if he's going to be that guy. Like We've got no indication that that's going to be the case. So, you know, I, I just, I don't see it, Charlie. I just don't see their run game taking this massive step forward this year. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Well, we've broken down the offensive side of the ball pretty extensively, so let's move over to the Florida defense. Georgia fans are all very familiar with the defensive coordinator Todd Grantham and his blitz-happy scheme. The Gators jumped up into the top 10 last year in total defense after finishing 28th in 2018. Do you see this Florida defense as one that will be closer to the 2019 version or closer to the 2018 version? Yeah, that's a good question. I like it. Um, 
I think that this Florida defense, with all they're losing off of last year's team, and they were good defensively last year. They really were. They were a good team defensively. But they're losing a, a lot of their key players. In fact, I would say most of their key players, especially a guy like Jonathan Grenard as their, as their top pass rusher last year. He was a major threat for them off the edge, a transfer from Louisville. He's gone. He was gone. He's a grad transfer one year now, right? So I think they're probably closer to the, to the 2018 version. I think they're going to be good. They have players. They have more talent than most teams in the SEC East. They don't have as much talent as we do, but I still think they're going to be pretty good. But I think you're right, Joe. I think they're going to be back down close to that, that 2018 version, finishing somewhere between probably 25th and 30th. Well, I would say that. Well, now, well, I guess you get the Big Ten coming back, and who knows with the Pac-12. So you're going to have more teams. But if you only have three conferences playing, you know, their numbers are going to be inflated there. But I think from a performance standpoint, I think they'll be closer to the 2018 defense than what they were in 2019 because I just think they're losing too many other impact players from last year that really allowed them to take that jump from 28th in 2018 to what you say last year, they were top 10, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think they're losing too many of those guys. So yeah, I would say I lean towards them being more like the 2018 version. All right. So you're clearly not as high on this Florida defense, but this is still a talented group, right? Yeah, it's a talented group. All right, so, so break down their strengths and weaknesses for us. Yeah, I mean, this is, I, I'm not trying to say Florida's not talented. They're, they got talent over the roster. I mean, I do think they're the most formidable threat in the SEC East. I just don't think they're as good as us. But I'm breaking down this defensive roster. Mm-hmm. Let me start with the secondary, because I think the strength of this defense is going to be in the secondary. And I'm going to start with Kyer Elam. He's a guy that I, here's a guy, like, this might be the biggest recruiting win of the Dan Mullen era. He's a guy that I wanted. I thought he was really good coming out of high school. Uh, Ford ends up getting him, and uh, I think it's the biggest win of the, of the Dan Mullen era. There have been very few. They've been few and far between those recruiting wins for the Dan Mullen staff at Florida, but this was this was a good one for them. They got this guy and, and processed him on that. He's a top 50 prospect coming out of high school out of the state of Florida. Really smooth athlete, really athletic, great ball skills. I think he was their best cornerback by the end of last season, even including C.J. Henderson. I think Kyrie Elam is better than him. I really do, even as a true freshman. So he's back, and I think he's going to be really good for them this year. And then on the other side, you got Marco Wilson coming back for his third year in Gainesville. I don't think Marco Wilson, as a cornerback, is as good as people were suggesting he was as a true freshman. Uh, he, he dealt with an injury as a sophomore, but I think he's a little stiff at times. I don't think he has great hip mobility. And I just don't think in general he's the athlete that Elam is, but he's a solid player back there. But he's certainly the guy that I would try to pick on if I'm an offensive coordinator, and I'm sure that... When Todd Munkin gets to the Florida game, I'm sure he'll see that as well. And then if you look at the safety position, they have two solid players back there that are projected to be their starters. You look at guys like Sean Davis and Brad Stewart. Those are probably going to be their starters. And they've kind of, I don't want to say they had a revolving door. They've had some injuries back there, but I would project Sean Davis and Brad Stewart right now as the two starters at safety. And both those guys, they're similar in ways. Like They're both good in run support, but I think they really struggle at times in coverage. It's just not their strength. Sean Davis, by the way, guys, if you remember that that big, huge touchdown pass to Lawrence Cager, kind of like the trick play of sorts. It wasn't entirely a trick play. It was just kind of going against flow there uh, against Florida and got that big touchdown pass. I don't want to say sealed the game. That was more so that, that throw to, to Eli Wolf. Uh, late in the in the fourth quarter in that on that final drive, but that really gave us some breathing room after Florida was kind of trying to fight back in the game and cut into our lead. Well, it was, if you remember that play, it was Sean Davis was the safety who completely got his head turned around, it looked like a fool out there on that play, got completely fooled on that, and uh, he was the one that got beat on that play. So yeah, those guys 
they're very aggressive in run support. They almost it's almost like they play run first. And so they're very vulnerable to play action like Sean Davis was on that play. And who knows, maybe they improve on that this year, but last year that was an issue for them. They struggled at times in man coverage. That, that's just not their strength. So I think if you are good in the slot, I think you can give them issues. And I think we have a lot of options that can be dangerous in the slot, whether it's Jermaine Burton at times, whether it's D-Rob at times, Kyrus Jackson. I think that's an area that we could potentially exploit them in the passing game this year. And, and uh, here's another guy. I'll talk about their star position as well. Now, this is the part of their secondary where I don't think they're as strong. It, Amari Bernie is probably going to be their starter at star this year. He is a converted linebacker playing that star position, but he's 6'2", 220, 225 pounds. Like he still looks like a linebacker. And he runs pretty well, but he's not a true DB. He's good against the run in that frame, but he really struggles against athletic slot wide receivers. So there's another reason why I think that we can exploit them from that slot position. And yeah, Trey Dean's a guy that we recruited for a little while, a couple years back, and he really wanted to come here. And we just basically told him, hey, man, sorry, buddy, you're not a take for us. And he ends up going to Florida. The Florida fans saw that as a big old victory for them. Oh, we got one over Georgia. No, you didn't. We just didn't take the guy. God bless him. We didn't take him. But he's terrible. He's been very, very bad. And they need an answer at, at, at the star position. because They tried Trey Dean there, and it just man, he was just getting beat like a rag doll. So that's why they're having to use a converted linebacker at the star position because they just can't trust Trey Dean there. So they, I think that's the strength of their, of, their, of their defense is that secondary, especially Elam and Wilson and Davis and Stewart in, in run support. But there are some holes that I think we can, we can exploit. If you look at the, at the front seven, I think there are big questions about this front seven. They led the SEC guys, and also they were top five in sacks last year. But a lot of those dudes are gone. Talking about impact players being gone, those are the impact players that are gone. Jonathan Grenard is gone. Jabari Zanaga is gone. David Arisa, inside linebacker, is a multi-year star for them. All of those three guys are gone. I think that was the core of their defense, along with C.J. Henderson at cornerback last year. All four of those guys are gone. I think those are their four best players. Maybe you want to throw in uh, Kyrie Elam towards the end of last season. Those are the best players, and they're all gone. And yeah, they, they recruit pretty well, but they don't recruit as well as we do. They don't have as many players just plug and play like we have on defense. They don't have that kind of depth. They just don't have a guy that has proven that he is that dude yet in the front seven. They may, they may have him, maybe they have him, but we don't know that. They, haven't, they don't have a guy that's shown that yet. They're begging on Britton Cox, obviously the transfer from Georgia. They're begging on him being that guy. If you ask them, oh yeah, surefire thing, former five-star guy. Georgia, he was at Georgia, now he's here, and they're lost, right? He's going to be that guy for them, and maybe he will be, but I'll say this. I've never, I never saw that from him, even as a true freshman, and I said that. You can go back, and, and if you can find the tape, listen to the tape, guys. I said that as a true freshman. I thought he was a good player. He wasn't an elite pass rusher, and this is a guy that transferred from Georgia because he got all up in his feelings after getting dropped down the jet depth chart because Aziz and Nolan and Jermaine Johnson just passed him by. He got up in his feelings, had a bad attitude about it, and we basically said, see ya, dude, and he goes to Florida. That's fine, whatever. Maybe he'll be that guy for them, but I, in, in the limited time we saw him here in Athens in that one season, I just didn't see that he was going to be that elite, dominant dude up front as a pass rusher. I just I just didn't see that. Maybe he's grown, maybe, but I didn't see it during his time here. Zachary Carter at defensive end, he's a pretty good player for them. He's not a scrub, but I, I don't think he's Jonathan Grenard either. He, he's not that kind of player, but he's a good, solid player for them. Get a watch for him. I think they're really average on the interior of that defensive line with Kyrie Campbell and Tadaro Slayton as their top two guys. Those guys are fine. They're not terrible. They're not necessarily liabilities, but they're, they're, they're not elite. They're not game-changing type players up front. And on top of that, man, I think they're average as grits at inside linebacker with Ventrell Miller and James Houston the fourth. 
James Houston the fourth is way too big. That guy's pushing like 240 pounds. Yeah, he would have fit Kirby Smart's Alabama defenses back in like 2009. That's not how you play defense anymore. Not with how offenses have started to spread the field, increase the tempo, get athletes in space. You just can't. You can't do that. You can't. You can't be out there. You're a liability in pass coverage and run sideline to sideline. You just. You can't do that. I mean, both those guys in in general, Miller and Houston, in my opinion. They lack athleticism. They're not particularly instinctive. I do think they're gonna they're gonna miss David Reese. I don't, I, don't, I don't think Reese was like an elite linebacker, but he was a good player for them. I think they're gonna miss him an inside linebacker. And again, I just I just don't know that they have the dudes to run Grantham's kind of traditional attacking style of defense, kind of his hallmark. But he, look, he's gonna try. Like Grantham is going to still try to do that because that's just what Todd Grantham does. That's all he knows how to do. But against good teams, we know from experience. We we did it when he was at Louisville, when we played them in the bowl game, the belt bowl a couple years back. It was at the 2014 season. We've seen it the past couple years that now he's been at Florida. When he goes against good teams that have quarterbacks that understand how to beat blitzes, like Jake Fromm. They say what you want about Jake Fromm, but he was pretty good against pressure and he handled it really well in those games against Todd Grantham coach defenses. When he faces good teams, we know from experience that he gets burned with all that highly aggressive blitz happy stuff, especially when he doesn't have the guys that consistently win one on one up front. Now, I do think he has a guy in Kyrie Elam that can hold up if you put him on an island out there. I think he can hold up against most players. I'm not so sure about Marco Wilson, and I'm not so sure about what they've got in the slot there at the star position and also with the safeties having to man up on some of these guys. I just don't know if they have the dudes to consistently allow themselves to get as blitz happy as he likes to do. But again, that's what Todd Grantham's going to do because that's what Todd Grantham does. That's who he is. So we'll see how that ends up working out. But all right, Charlie, got anything else for me? That's it for today. That's it? That's it for the Scout and the Enemy series, guys. That's a wrap for the 2020 series. Had a lot of fun doing this. It was a lot of work, but we've also had a lot of fun talking some football, man. It's just great anytime to be able to talk some hardcore football like that. So hope you guys enjoyed it. We will be back next week, game week, baby. It is almost here. We will have our preseason picks. We'll also be previewing the Arkansas game. And, of course, we'll wrap up next week with our first picks of the week episode. So a lot of fun stuff coming your way, guys. Really, really, really excited about it. I know you guys are, too. But thanks for listening. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.